believe it. We made it. <laughs> oh, I, I want to tell you, I, I, I'm just uh, so glad uh, that this is... Uh, so... You, you, I, I, I've, I've always wondered how other people figure time in their head, you know? I mean, how a guy figures, you know, time in his noggin. I've just... Uh, have you ever wondered how other people see colors and stuff? You know, how they... Uh, whether whether they see things the way you see them? No way ever no, ever knowing that. No, there's no no conceivable way. Uh, but you take time now. That's, uh, that's another thing. And I must say that tonight I am in a totally celebration-type mood. And uh, for a very good reason. Would you please, or at least for me personally a good reason. Wait, I'm going to try something. Uh, would you please, Herb, if you will. easy that's a that uh, that's a celebrating spring here or at least a celebrating march first that uh, the traditional tarantella of siciliano or the sicilianos and uh, played on a traditional sicilian uh, jews harp sounds different on an english jews harp wasn't it it's a very different sound and uh, and that that by the way is an authentic can i have cut three there herbert please cut three this is a Authentic, uh, celebrating the spring music that uh, is celebrated. Uh, now, now, spring, of course, does not necessarily mean uh, when the calendar says spring. It's when the soul feels spring. 
which is uh, quite a different thing. Uh, cut three, please. There you go. Now, those who think that all tarantellas sound the same just haven't got an ear for a tarantella. Did you know this is a tarantella form of music? Bring it up, big head. I'll try a little bit here. I'll sit in with this crowd. Oh! Yeah, I think I'll use this uh, high... Yeah. Thank you, baby. That was very nice. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, every year when uh, when March 1st comes, that uh, that to me is uh, has a very, very private meaning. Private meaning. It's an exciting time. And uh, because it is the 1st of March. I always, uh, in my own head, I always consider March the beginning of uh, spring and summer. As soon as March 1 arrives, do you, how do you think of it? Do you think of it that way? Or do you think of March as part of winter? Now, some people do. You do. Well, I, I don't... <laughs> I, guess that's, I guess that's maybe because you come from a state. You're from the East, aren't you? Well, the reason, I think a lot of uh, time sense depends a lot on where you lived when you were a kid and growing up and the kind of... Uh, the kind of weather and stuff that you you know that you'd hit and so forth, because uh, in in uh, the Great Plains states, uh, certainly in in Indiana, March is distinctly different from. Uh, of course, it can get cold, very cold in March, but March is distinctly different from from February and January and December and November. Those are real winter months, because March would suddenly break. A couple of days would be, you know, really great, and all the icicles would be melting, and all the fantastic feeling of, of it's it's now finally easing. And you don't get much of a thing like that out here in the East. That uh, it's Everything is much more muted. The winters aren't as cold, really, and the summers aren't as hot. So you don't get that great differentiation between winter and summer. I mean, you know, there is a difference, of course, between winter and summer, but it isn't like walking over a cliff. And uh, man, it, it really is, and you know, out in out in uh, in those big states. In fact, I can, you know, there's another thing I'll tell you about why March first uh, is exciting for me. March first, when I went to high school, had a specific meaning for anybody who was involved in athletics, at least in our school. March first was the day that we would report to the gym and begin indoor baseball practice. How about that? Indoor. We used to, yeah, we used to, we didn't hit balls and all that around. Indoor baseball practice wasn't like that. But what we would do, 
we would report to the gym. I played on, you know, baseball, and we would report to the gym, and we would report with our gloves and stuff, and our sweatsuits. We'd wore nothing but sweatsuits down there. We didn't wear a baseball uniform, but sweatsuits and gym shoes and stuff. And we would begin to throw the ball around. We would throw uh, every day for an hour. Beginning March 1st, we would start to toss a ball around. The pitchers would, would begin to throw, and uh, the guys who were outfielders would throw. Everybody would do- be down there throwing. And, uh, and a, even at that time, the coach would begin to slowly cut the squad, <laughs> even before you got out of the field, see. And, and then we would run around. We would throw the ball for about an hour. We had an indoor track uh, that was built on a balcony in the gym, you know, with a cork floor on it, a banked indoor track. Yeah, how do you like that, man? And, oh, yes, we were serious about athletics in my school. <laughs> and uh, we would all go up, and we would have to run, like, uh, 50 laps. You know, this baby, we'd, it was a little track, but it was long enough. And for we'd just keep running around, running around. We'd run about an hour just get all sweated up. And that was always the beginning of March. And I always felt that excitement, you see, when you're, when you're getting ready for a season of athletics, of any kind of athletics. Uh, and if you're a player, you begin to have the, the sense of excitement long before the fan does. Because, uh, you know, you're, you're, the season is beginning. You're out there. And then about two or three or four days into, after the 1st of March, we would go out uh, if if the weather was well, if the weather was good enough, by now we'd been throwing three or four days, and after all we were only kids, so we didn't have much problems getting getting you know getting our arm in shape and all that kind of stuff. We would go out uh, and we would begin to just uh, just jog around the track once in a while outside every day. We would jog around. They had an outdoor track too, and we'd jog around. And then around the end of March, when the days were right. When the uh, not, it wasn't even the end of March, it would be like almost the middle of March. We would get once in a while, in the middle of the week, there'd be a great day. The temperature would be 65. Yeah, oh yeah, 65. The sun is out, and uh, at which point Easton, the coach, would say, "Okay, we're all going out now." We would all go out again, still in our sweatshirts and all that kind of sweatsuits. We would go out to the to the to the football field, and we would really start working then. At that point, uh, guys would start. Uh, uh, picking up a few ground balls, they'd start knocking. They'd have infield practice, and, and the guys are not. Of course, we couldn't play on the ball diamond yet at this point because the ball diamond had a regular clay infield, and it was just absolutely a sea of mud from the summertime or from the wintertime. But we would play out on the grass of the football field. We just uh, hit bouncing play pepper and all that stuff, and every day it would be getting slowly warmer and warmer and warmer. And uh, the excitement that would build. Then, then after about uh, ten days of baseball uh, preseason practice, uh, Easton would get everybody out in the gym. We'd all stand there in the gym. There'd be about at that point there'd be about forty-five or fifty guys. There's always a whole bunch of guys come out, forty or fifty guys. And he would say, "Now the following men will uh, be given locker keys." And uh, you will work, uh, you'll put your stuff in the locker and leave it down here. And he'd read off the names. That was the way the first cut was made. And he'd just call out the names, and as each guy was called out, he would step forward, and he'd be given a locker key, one of these uh, uh, dressing room locker keys with a big brass thing on the number 12. And uh, you'd go, and you know, you know that you've got a locker now, see, at least for a while. 
And uh, and uh, the guys that didn't get one, he would say things like, well, fellas, you know, uh, we appreciate you coming out. A lot of you guys, uh, probably if you come out next year, you'll probably make it. Some of you, uh, you know, are still growing. You're not big enough. He'd give, you know, give them the old schmooze like that. Then he'd, uh, he'd say to an occasional, well, I'll look, uh, uh, I'll tell you, uh, there's a couple of you guys here. He said, I really wish you'd come out uh, again uh, next year. He said, you're only sophomores. You may make it in your junior play a lot of ball during the summer. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then that would be his first cut, the first cut. Uh, this is WOR New York. In the current issue of TV Guide magazine, a report on the art of gamesmanship as it's played by people who try to get on New York-based game shows. Then read about a recent case of censorship as TV Guide recaps what happened when a local station canceled two episodes of a network series. In the same issue, TV Guide's cover story profiles William Conrad. For a long time, television's image of a private investigator was dirty, thin, and tough. But Conrad, who plays a portly private eye named Cannon, has changed some minds. William Conrad, 50, fat, and fun-loving, featured this week in TV Guide, America's biggest-selling weekly magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. A walk in the country. Fresh air and sunshine. What peace. But listen to another sound of peace. Teresa Snow is a Peace Corps volunteer. She is making a real difference in her small classroom in Tunisia. The kind of difference you might make in the Peace Corps. You don't have to be a teacher, of course, or a professional of any kind. A real desire to help and a willingness to work hard in spite of inconveniences and frustrations are more important. To find out how you can help, write the Peace Corps at Action, Washington, D.C., 20525. Are you curious how the, the, the additional cuts would be made? They were all done very subtly, like that. And so, here you've got a locker now. Now, now you know that the, it's been reduced down to the squad now is down to, say, maybe 35. Prior to this, it had been like 50. Maybe, uh, maybe it's down to 30. That's a little more like it. Down about, about 30, see? And so, uh, you'd go out uh, every day. Every day. Never miss a day. Every day, we would get out of the gym... And uh, we'd pick up our gloves and stuff, and we kept our, our, our personal equipment, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, stuff you use in the shower, clogs, and junk like that in your locker. And uh, then, that, of course, then that great day came when, when after we'd been working out for about two or three weeks in the gym, when Easton says, all right, from now on, all workouts are going to be outside unless it's raining, unless it's really bad weather. We're going to work out because a lot of our games are going to have to be played in kind of cold weather anyway. And we want to get a little workout. So we're going to really work out. And especially you outfielders, I want to get some, some really long wind sprints going out here. And this running around the track is okay, but we're going to have to do some real running. And uh, at that point, we would move outside wearing our, uh, wearing our sweat suits. And uh, 
usually uh, there was a guy uh, there was a guy who had taught printing of all things. A strange guy. We had a printing shop in our high school. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a trade high school though, but we did have a printing shop that printed the high school newspaper and everything. And he taught printing. And uh, this guy had been a minor league ball player, and he used to come out all the time and help with spring training. <laughs> and uh, he was sort of a squat, tough-looking guy. He looked like a bowling pin with feet. Yeah, we were a real tough-looking guy, see, and, and uh, a professional printer, but he played ball, and he loved to hit fly balls to the outfielders. And he was really an expert on it. He'd take the fungo, you know, and he'd, he'd lay him exactly where he wanted to. He was always, you know, it's quite an art. He would hit a fly ball just about a step and a half further than you can make, unless you're really going all out, you know. And so he'd just say, okay, and he'd call it, he'd call it players. He wouldn't just hit the fly ball. Everybody would run like hell for it. Uh, you'd be all standing out there. The outfielders be about uh, 25 outfielders usually. Maybe most guys went out for the outfield. There'd <laughs> be about about 15 outfielders or 20 outfielders. And he would holler, okay. And he'd, he he wouldn't tell you who's going to get the ball see, until after he hit it, see, because he wants you to get that quick start. So if he told you that he was going to hit it to you, you'd be already going, see. So everybody's sort of standing around out there, and he'd say, all right, here we go. And up would go the ball, and he'd go, whack, whack. And he'd say, Twyman! And at that point, Twyman, who's standing out there picking his ear, uh, would take off like a shot, see, or theoretically, uh, in the direction that the ball was going. And, of course, uh, it's a it's a interesting combination, a study of uh, of, uh, of converging forces, an outfielder going after a long-hit fly ball because it involves judgments and so on. And so he would take out after that, and this guy could lay that ball. He would he would spot the outfielder. He wanted to hit it to, see? And he could hit that ball within a yard or so of where he wanted to hit it. Now, he's hitting balls that are going 300, 325, sometimes almost 350 feet. He's hitting long soccer roonies. And so he could really hit that ball and put it right where he wanted to. And so we'd be out there running those outfield sprints. Well, I was I was an infielder, which was a different scene entirely. Easton was the guy that loved that one. Easton had played college ball, and the Easton would stand out in front of home plate. You want to hear this? This is a you know this. He'd stand out in front of home plate, and all the infielders, no matter what position you played, would be strung out around the infield which, by the way, has been covered with a thick coating of yellow sand at this point because it's still a little wet. So they put sand over the top of it. And uh, and it made it kind of an interesting thing to feel the ball on sand. <laughs> so at that point, uh, Easton would start slapping ground balls around. At first, quite, you know, quite gentle ground balls. He's, he'd hit a, uh, the first couple of days when we were actually fielding around the infield, he'd hit these, these high hoppers. He'd just chop them. <laughs> And uh, you know the expressions. You, you know the expressions, ball. For you, of course, you played ball, Jerry. What is a nice hopping ball that just takes that beautiful hop and hops right up? You don't even have to scoop it. It just comes right up at you, ready for a throw. What is that called? That's right. They call it a lot of things. Sometimes they call it a candy hop. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of other. You know, and so he's hitting these nice bounces. And for about the first two or three days, when we're out on the infield. You can hear these balls sailing around. The guys, uh, uh, <laughs> the guy from the printing shop is way out down the left field line. He's hitting those long fly balls out to the outfielders, and he's Easton is hitting us these these choppers, and they're all the infielders. There were about maybe uh, oh, there were another about ten infielders all strung out around. He's whacking those infield balls, 
And all around us, all around, the whole, the foul territory, all the pitchers would be out there just lobbing balls, just lobbing them slow and easy down to the catchers, <laughs> just throwing those balls down. And they've measured out, you know, they measured the, the actual pitching distance, see, so they're getting their, the distance right. And so they're just lobbing those balls. And we keep that up for about, oh, maybe an hour of infield practice, hitting fly balls out. And then Easton would go out on a pitcher's mound, and he had an electric bullhorn. And, uh, yeah, he, he'd turn on the electric bullhorn, and he says, All right, all you guys, come on here. Let's come on into the infield, all of you guys. Let's go, outfielders, pitchers, all of you around the infield. And the guys would all start converging. It's really, really quite a thing. You know, we all we would all converge, and we would all stand around the mound. And he would he would talk, you know. He would, he would talk about... Uh, things that we're going to do, like uh, we're going to work on, uh, we're going to be working on fundamentals, and he would ask questions to the infielders, like he'd shy, shy, he'd, he'd bark out a question, say, man, on second and third, there's two outs, okay, uh, a heavy hitter is up, uh, what's he, what's he going to try to do, uh, Murphy, <laughs> and he's, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> and uh, so he would snap, you ever try that one, he'd snap out these questions, saying all the while, he's, he's, uh, He's uh, whipping out questions so that your head is always alive to the possibilities of every play. And they keep this up for about 15 minutes. And uh, then he would say, Okay, you guys, now all of you now, I want you all out on the left field line. I want you strung out on the left field line. String out on the left field line all the way down to the foul pole. Let's go. And we'd all run out. We'd stand along the line. He'd say, All right, now when I get the, when I get the command, I want you to run. I want you to run all over to the right field foul line. I want you to turn around and run all the way back to the left field file. I want you to run as fast as you can. Okay, here we go. All right, let's go! And boom, 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 you start running, you know. Back and forth, back and forth over the outfield. And we would keep this up for, oh, another... This would run back and forth, the wind sprints, for about a half an hour. And then the real drag started. Huffine would come out, who was a PT nut and a top gym teacher. He loved to stand up on the little grandstands we had there and say things like, All right, now, all you guys, we're going to do the rocking chair. The rocking chair. You all know how to do that? Lay flat on your stomach with your back bowed back as far as you can. I want to make a bow there. And when I give the count, I want you to rock back and forth, back and forth. That's the rocking chair. That's good for the stomach muscles. All right, here we go. Rock. One. Back. Two. Forward. One. Back. Two. Forward. One. Back. Two forward. Come on, Murphy. One back. Two forward. Come on, back. I've got those bows there. We want to see. You're just laying flat. Let's go. One back. Two forward. Oh, God. I hated that. Oh, the, 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 the rocking chair. And then, then, then he would always, you know, we'd go through this. We'd go through the, the, uh, the, the deep knee bends. We would go through, uh, we would go through the, uh, uh, the alternate arm exercise where you touch your left foot with your right arm, you know, with the f- feet outspread. And what a fantastic relief when he would say, finally, uh, he would he would stand up there, you know, and you could say, he's getting there already, it's getting dark now. You know, we've been at this now about two and a half hours. He would say, all right, on your feet, let's go now. Okay, you guys, at the count, I want you to fall back on your back, feet up in the air. Straight up. Straight up. We are doing the bicycle. Let's go. All right. All right. Down. 
Feet up! Okay, pump them bicycles. Left, right, left, right, left. Well, that was always great to hear because it was the end. We always finished up with the bicycle. I don't know why. That was his routine. <laughs> well, after about, uh, you know, now by now, you see... And by the way, already I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that all around the country... See, the reason that high schools start baseball earlier than major league ball teams is a good reason, because uh, most of their games are played earlier in the season than major league ball games are played. Uh, a major league ball game, they're, they're still, uh, you know, they're still playing around uh, well through March and up through... And finally, they play their first games around the middle of April, don't they? Something like that. Well, by that time, we'd already had three varsity games. <laughs> we would, I mean, that are, that are for keeps. So we had to start earlier. And, and of course, he had a different problem than, say, uh, uh, Yogi Berra has. He had to separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, Yogi's got nothing but, uh, he's got nothing but pro ball play. He's got a little chaff there, and he's got a little wheat, too. But uh, it's uh, not quite the same scene. So by the time by the time we've done this for another week or so, you know, all this running in place and stuff, uh, we all the great moment would arrive. And uh, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. I guess all, any kid that's uh, out for athletics would dig this. But uh, I'm not doing this for everybody. But athletics plays an important part of your life when you're when you're a male, especially, and you're you're uh, going to school. And you're involved in it. A lot of guys are spectators. But when you're involved in it, it's really an, an, an integral part of your life. You're always thinking of it. And so after about uh, maybe 10 days, two weeks of, of this uh, uh, PT and, and infield practice, every day, by the way, the ground balls are getting harder. Uh, every day they're getting harder. And after about a week it is, he's hitting some wicked grass cutters. I mean, they're really coming down there. Say, and you're diving at them. And he says, uh, you know, and, and he always had, he kept up a running line of, of totally destructive sarcasm. I mean, so he'd hit a whacking ground ball. And he'd go, whack. All right, Murphy, let's go. Let's go. Oh, you don't feel it with your teeth. Now, come on. You're not going to throw anybody out of your teeth. You get your, get down, get moved down, get down. I want that knee behind that ball. I don't want to get. Th-. And Murphy gets up, you know, the ball has hit him in the teeth and blood is coming out of his ears. And uh, he, you know, there's no point where they say, "Oh, poor Murphy, let's all stop, fellas. Let's go see if he hurt his thumb," you know, that kind of stuff. So this, keep up a running fire like that. And by the end of about ten days, he's hitting some real mean ones. And by that time, three minor injuries have occurred to everybody, including you. One, your thumb. You you got one too low one day. <laughs> a good hard shot down at third base, and your thumb was vaguely sprained, and it's swelled up the size of a salami, and uh, it's been hurting, right? This will hurt, incidentally, till late July. So you might as well be prepared for that. But when you play ball, you're always hurting. Now, there's a lot of hurts you don't worry about because they're just steady. You don't even think about it. Uh, another one that, that uh, is always continually getting you is that on the day when he was hitting high pop-ups, you circled under a pop-up, and uh, the thing came down. The wind caught it just at the wrong moment. And you caught it right on the second finger of your right hand. You caught a shot there. It spun away from you, but it drove your finger halfway down into your hand. You now have a finger that's about an inch and a half shorter than it was before you started with the pop-ups. Right there, you had this one. And then, of course, there's the fingernail problem, uh, which is always kind of good. Yeah, well, uh, that, that, came <laughs> that came when you tried to go to your right 
and you reached down, and the ball was a lot lower than you thought, and it just went right at her, and it pulled the fingernail on your index finger loose. It is now purple. Okay, now those are the, the, the beginning engine. Nothing, nothing serious, but enough to just constantly niggle you. Then comes the day, after about two weeks of that, now we are, where, where are we now? We're roughly about March, oh, I'd say 17th, 18th, like that. You've been out about three weeks. And uh, now comes, it's getting close, see, because we know, we know the first varsity game, the first varsity ball game, is going to be roughly like, uh, oh, uh, probably the first, second week of April. You know, so it's getting close. And there's a lot more guys on this team right now than there are suits. So, everybody's standing out there now, all circled around, trying to look very nonchalant. You know, this is all, they're tossing balls back and forth, a little game of pepper going on over by the stands. And Easton says the following. He's got a clipboard. So I want the following men to report to Wilson down on the... Down in the supply room, I want you guys to go down in the dressing room, and the following men report and ask for your basket. And he reads the names. That's the final cut. Those are the guys that got the suits. And uh, each basket, you would go down and you get this wicker basket, wire basket. And in the wire basket is, uh, well, there are two suits. One white one, one gray one. With your, you know, the school name on the front. HHS is what I said. And your number. Uh, also, there was, for the first time, now you are, <laughs> you are provided with, but the school provides the socks. You are provided with sweat socks. You are provided with a, with a stack of sweatshirts that say stolen from the Hammond High Track Department, uh, Athletic Department. You are given the, there's your equipment, in other words. If you're a catcher, there's all kinds of extra stuff down there, you know, all kinds of equipment handed out. And it's very exciting when you get that thing for the first time. And uh, at that point, also, you, you might as well go out and invest in a pair of baseball shoes. They expected you to buy your own shoes. Up to this point, you know, <laughs> you were playing with tennis shoes, or maybe if you had your own ball shoes, you figure, well, it's the season, I made the team, so I might as well go out and buy a pair of shoes. So you would go out and buy a pair of shoes the next day, and that's a great feeling. Well, at, at, the, at the next practice now, you have all fallen out, and you're wearing the gray uniform, which is really the home or the away uniform. You're wearing the gray uniform, gray flannel, and it feels kind of great. You know, this is a new baseball suit, uh, unless it's one of those years where they keep them from the year before, the year before that, the year before that. But uh, in this case, you know, it's a new one. It's kind of great. It comes in a Wilson box and all of it. See? So you put on your uniform. Ours, incidentally, had, had, a, had a big purple HHS across the front, and the numbers on the sewn on the back were purple silk, some strange reason, shiny silk with white piping on it. And uh, we had purple stripes with white piping. And, uh, and the base, you, you get your hat, which is kind of great. You get a new hat. That's a purple, dark purple hat with a big uh, silver H on the, on the front. And so now we're out there, and we're running around in our suits. And it's a great feeling. About five minutes after you get out there, Easton says the following thing. There was Bullhorn. All right, you guys, let's form up around the infield now. 
You guys have made the team. You are on the ball club this year, and we're going to have a winning year. We're through playing around in these practices, and anybody that dogs it in practice has better turn that suit in because we ain't got no time for you. And I'll be watching every one of you. Now, I don't want any of you pitchers going home. I don't want you to be throwing at bottles on the way home with rocks. I don't want any of that stuff. You're, you're a pitcher now, and I don't want to have anybody come back to practice the next day with a sore arm. If you're going to get a sore arm, you're going to get a sore arm playing ball right here. All right, now. We're going to play our first scrimmage game of the year. Following men... We'll be on defense today. We'll call you the A-team today. First Murphy at first base. Clevenger, second base. Morton, shortstop. Umba, third base. Shields, left field. Hurts, center field. Ike Johnson, right field. Behind the plate. Corky, you're behind the plate. Pitch the first ball this year, I want you. Mike Grants, you're pitching the first ball this year, so get out there, you're out on defense. The following men will be on the B team today. We'll play offense for the first inning. And he reads the lineup. And my grants is out there. By the way, these are all actual names of actual players, in case you're interested. <laughs> my grants is walking around out there. Hell of a basketball player, too. And my grants is kicking them, kicking them out. And I am now on, on offense. I am batting third in the offensive lineup. And that first moment when you're at bat, really, we've been hitting flies, we've been taking a little batting practice. The first moment when a pitcher is standing out there on the mound and he's throwing uh, in, a, in an, a real attempt to get you out is one of the exciting moments in spring, in spring sports. You agree, Jerry? It is very exciting. You step into that, 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 that box, you know, and you kick the dirt around, you're ready to go. Well, we begin to play scrimmage games. That's really exciting because you know then that the guys he's using most often in the scrimmage games are going to be the guys that are the starters. And by the way, there's another subtlety. The guys that begin on offense are the guys that are going to be the starters' starters. And the guys that begin on defense are generally the guys that are the backup ball players in every position. So we begin to work away. Day after day, we're working out there, changing positions. Sometimes you play outfield, something, and he'd move you around once in a while. Uh, he'd move you from third base out to center field, or he'd bring you in from center field to play second base, you know, in spite of the fact you were a second baseman or a shortstop. You know, I, I don't know. You know. He'd just like to see how you did it. And so finally, the big day would arrive. It is Wednesday afternoon. And you're out there on the ballpark, on the field. It's the first week in April. It started way back last March 1st, 
when the first big drops begin to appear on the ends of the icicles. You're standing around out there, just waiting. And uh, Mr. Easton walks out, gets his bullhorn going. All right, men, as you know, we're going to play George Rogers Clark tomorrow. We're going to play at their field. You will assemble here at 2 p.m. You will be excused from classes at 2 p.m. And you better be here on time because anybody who's late is just going to be left behind. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be in trouble. 2 p.m. We will dress. We will dress in the gray away uniforms. Don't forget to take an extra glove if you have it. You infielders especially. And at 2.15, we will take off in the bus. It will be back of the garage, just on the other end of the track field. And you better be in that bus at 2.15, dressed and ready to go. There's not going to be any fooling around down in the dressing room. You have about five minutes to dress. The game will begin at 3 p.m. sharp. The lineup will be the following. We are pitching tomorrow. Migrants will go. Since they have more left-handers than we're going to see for the next couple of weeks. Corky, you will catch. That is the battery we will go with in the first inning against George Rogers Clark. I will announce the rest of the lineup in the bus tomorrow before the game. All right, let's get out there in that outfield and do some running. We are not going to have a scrimmage game today because I don't want to get anybody with a jammed thumb. I don't want any pulled muscles tonight. Just want a good, hard run. We may do a little PT. I want you to get a good night's sleep tonight. No dates. Hear that? Not tonight. Okay, let's get running, men. Wow. <laughs> Sounds familiar. And, uh, yeah. Okay, we'll do the house of chin. That's what you want to do. What a letdown. <laughs> you don't, I'm telling you, if you're a ball player, you don't, uh, you don't work out eating Chinese food. But uh, if you're not a ball player, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, incidentally, they are correct. Uh, you know, Chinese food is not as fattening as most other foods. I found this out to be true. It's largely vegetables. It's the way it's cooked, and it's really good, uh, the way they do it down at the House of Chan, 52nd and 7th Avenues. Uh, 50, and by the way, some idiot wrote me a long letter saying uh, I gave the wrong instruction. He says, I looked for 52nd Avenue all day long in New York. Well, you won't find it. Uh, it's uh, not easy to find 52nd Avenue. It's 52nd Street, friend, and 7th Avenue. <laughs> well, he was from Tenafly. You know how that is. So uh, if any of you are going to make the scene this weekend, I would suggest you drop by the House of Chan. They're a good place to visit. Uh, and uh, 52nd and 7th, food is good. They have a bar. And uh, they're open seven days a week from noon all the way on through till midnight. 
Well, of course, you know, I, I have to tell you the final thing, though, on that. The big excitement, of course, you come out the next day, you put your suit on, you're running like a, you're beginning to sweat, see. You get in the in the bus now, and everybody's all sitting there nervous. You know, the guys have got their gloves, and they're hitting them. You know, the guy gets out with the bat bag, all the equipment stuff. You know, they bring all all, all the teams, you know, bring their equipment, the catcher's equipment, all the... Because every team, of course, we had a manager named Bobby Weiss, a little, you know, little short squat guy who loved to carry big bags full of bats around. See, so he's bringing our towels and all the stuff, rosin bags, and we take off. At which point, Easton... And about five minutes, gets up in the front, and he reads off the lineup over the roar of the bus. And it seemed like almost seconds later, we're at the field, and there's a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of kids out there watching the game who are totally alien. And we are, <laughs> we are at bat, of course, you see, because we're the away team. We take a little warm-up, we run around out there. It's fantastic excitement, and you're starting the ball game. And and uh, that day against George Rogers Clark, the curious, I batted second in the batting order. And the first guy up, first guy up, uh, who incidentally was was uh, of all things, he was our first baseman, a guy named uh, named Al Murphy, tall, skinny guy. Murphy, the first pitch out of the first pitch, the big, tall left-hander pitching, the first pitch, Murphy pops up. It's a high pop up. Second baseman circles under and grabs it. The first out of the season is missed. Shepard steps into the box. <laughs> I'm stepping into the box. I'm ready, you know. I'm ready, man. I've been excited. You know, I've been really excited. I get, I get in the box, you know. I pull that hat down over my ears, you know. And I'm ready, see. And this big, tall left hand and the catcher is squatting down behind me. The kids are yelling all around, you know. George Rogers, Clark kids were in an alien field, and I could see. You know, I could see Wade on that left field line. They had a fence way out there. It looked like about 700 yards away. You know? <laughs> and I'm standing up at the plate. And I, I, I remember to this day, that first pitch, I'm standing up there. I'm a right-handed batter, widespread stance, digging in against this left-hander who would never pitch before. He's a freshman. He never, never pitched before. We never saw this guy. And he winds up, and he lets one go, and I got a fleeting glimpse of it out of my left eye, and I ducked back around, and that thing hit me between the shoulder blades. I want to tell you, hit me so hard, I felt my hat go right off, and I just fell flat on my stomach. <laughs> I get up. But I was the first man on base that year. Of course, uh, I didn't breathe for about a, maybe 40, 45 minutes later. I began to get my first wheezing breaths. But I was the first man on on base that year. And I could see Easton sitting down there in the dugout, right? The town, you know, in the scorebook, Shepherd's on base. <laughs> oh, man. We went on to win that game, by the way. We had a pretty good ball club. We went on to win that game, I think, something like 7-2. to two. It's another story, though, the next day when we played Carl Schurz High. It's another, another scene. But we, we did pretty well. I think we dropped that one three to one. Then we went completely ape against Horace Mann. We beat him 15 to two. I mean, I just remember running around the bases all day long. The season was well underway.